Good morning. Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star. Goran Ivanišević winning Wimbledon. Suzanne Boyle emerging from nowhere in Britain's Got Talent. Rocky Balboa in like every Rocky film. Leicester City winning the Premier League. Braveheart, Karate Kid, dare I say it, Aston Villa beating Liverpool 7-2. Don't we just love an underdog story. We love to see the little guys upsetting the odds to claim victory against what seems to be a much stronger opponent. In football, we often refer to this as giant killings. We're in a new series on the lessons we can learn from the life of King David in 1 and 2 Samuel. Can you guess from the intro which story we're going to be looking at today? Yeah, it's that Sunday school classic, David and Goliath, the ultimate giant killing, weedy little Israelite shepherd boy taking down a nine foot nine Philistine giant who's torment tormenting the Israelite army. It's such an amazing story but it spans actually too many verses for us to read out all in one go this morning so let's treat ourselves to a nice simple cartoon version to refresh our memories. Let's have a look at it now. Slapstick Theatre David and Goliath this is David. Hey! David was a shepherd who lived in Bethlehem. David was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel when he was just a boy. But David had to wait a very long time until that promise would come true because there was another king of Israel named Saul. Saul led the armies of Israel. One day, King Saul was with his army near the Valley of Elah. On the other side of this valley, the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, gathered their army ready to fight. The Philistines had a giant warrior named Goliath, who challenged the Israelites. Hey! Goliath spoke badly of God and his people. He shouted and taunted them, saying, Choose one man to come down here and fight me. The Israelites and King Saul were very afraid. Meanwhile, David's father sent David to bring some food to his brothers and their captain. Goliath came out of the Philistines' army, and David heard him shout his usual mean taunts to the army of Israel. Whoa, what? As soon as the Israelites saw Goliath, they began to run away in fright. See ya! David asked, Who is this Philistine anyway? that he has allowed to defy the armies of the living God. David's questions were reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Uh, hi. David said, don't worry about this Philistine, I'll go fight him. Saul said, there's no way you can fight him and win. You're only a boy. Wait. But David told Saul that he had taken care of his father's sheep and rescued them from lions and bears. Then David declared, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul said, All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. David picked up five smooth stones from a stream. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight Goliath. When Goliath saw him coming, he sneered at him and yelled bad things at David. But David said, You come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, 
Goliath moved closer to attack and David quickly ran out to meet him. He hurled a stone from his sling and hit Goliath in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. But he knew the power of God and trusted God to win the battle against the giant. There is just so much in this story to go at, but I'm going to do something perhaps a little bit strange. I'm going to spend some of the time uh, explaining how we can really, really learn from David in this, in this passage about how we approach the battles we face against giants in our lives. But then I'm actually going to change tack and explain where I think we actually fit best in this story and why it matters. There's going to be a nice new long theological word for us to learn together. So stay tuned if you like that sort of thing. That's what's coming up this morning. So first, let's look at the lessons we can learn from David when we're facing life's battles. Now look, it's unlikely that we'll ever quite be in David's actual shoes. I mean, last week we saw how he was this young boy anointed as the future king of his country. This week, still in his teens, we see him standing on a battlefield in front of a giant, having volunteered to fight him on behalf of his nation's army. It's probably not going to happen to us, is it? But in our lives, we do face giants that we have to battle that can potentially be just as stressful and scary. Perhaps it's a giant health problem that is threatening you. Perhaps you're facing the giant of grief or bereavement. Perhaps you're facing dire financial need which can really feel like a giant. Maybe it's the giant of mental health problems, depression, anxiety or something like that. Maybe it's the giant of a relationship breakdown and the trauma that can come through that. Maybe the giant of being abused physically or emotionally at some point in your life. Or maybe this whole situation with COVID-19 feels just like a giant that you are having to battle. It's causing you fear. It's causing you pain. And there come moments in our lives when, when these giants, it feels like we're standing on a battlefield facing up and overwhelmed and powerless. And what I'll say as well, we don't always win these battles. I can't stand here this morning and promise you that every battle you will face, that you will win. I want to put that out there from the start. These battles can affect our faith. They can challenge our joy. They can threaten our confidence if we let them. But what this story does do, I believe, is it does give us some great things to draw on. I want to suggest two really simple things we can learn from David in this story that I think God would want us to apply when we are facing these giants in our lives, whether we win them the battle or not in the end. The first thing is this. The first thing to remember is who God is. Is. When we face giants, we have to remember who he is. We have to remember what he's promised to us and what he's done in our lives already. That's the big difference between David and the Israelites in this story. It's stark. The Israelites were the chosen people of God. The people who he made a multitude of promises to, of land, of victories, of a, a, a glorious future. And yet here, as the Israelite army stands on the battlefield facing Goliath, their response is led by their warrior king, Saul. In verse 11, it simply tells us that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In verse 25, they say, you see again, they say, oh, have you seen this man who's coming up against us? Uh, surely he's come to defy Israel. In verse 33, when David offers to fight Goliath, Saul says, you're not able to fight him. You're just a youth and this guy's been a man of war since his youth. You know, on the surface, these seem possibly quite reasonable, almost justifiable reactions to this giant that they're facing. Goliath is undoubtedly a fearsome opponent. 
But David exposes the huge problems in Saul and the Israelites' reactions. Because they, as they fear Philistine's giant, they forget their own truly undefeatable champion, God. But David doesn't forget. David remembers everything who, about who God is, everything that God has done for him personally, and everything that he's done for Israel already. He recalls God's protection in his own life when he's been a vulnerable shepherd boy in the open expanses of Israel's hills. In verses 34 to 37, you see him talking about the times when he faced up to wild animals, bears and lions as he, as he was out there as a shepherd. And he says, look, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. That's, he remembers what God's done. He's under no illusion about his own strength and skill. He knows that when he beat these bears and lions, he did so because of God's protection and favour on him. He knows that when God is for him, nothing can come against him. He knows it personally, but he also knows it about Israel. He understands the history that God has with this nation, and he can't believe that Saul and his army have forgotten. You see his confidence in it, in the way he speaks to Goliath, verses 45 to 46. He says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. All this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for this battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. These are the words of a boy who knows who is on his side, who knows God, who knows who God is. He knows he's the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Saul and the army seem to have forgotten who they're fighting, who they've got fighting for them, but David remembers. The Philistines actually seem to have forgotten too. We haven't got time to look at it in detail today, but if you read 1 Samuel chapters 4-6, to you'll see a remarkable story of where the Philistines fight the Israelites a previous time and they think they've got the upper hand. The Israelites seem to be in absolute turmoil, but they then encounter the Philistines, this jealous anger of Israel's God. Here again, they think they're heading for an easy victory, and yet they only to discover that this battle is far from being as one-sided as it looks. It takes me back actually to my school days, just 10 years ago when I was 13, maybe a bit longer ago. Uh, I was in year nine and I decided in my wisdom and loveliness as a person that I was gonna pick on this little year seven kid who looked a bit lost. I decided to jump out of him, jump out on him, give him a bit of a fright. I thought it was easy pickings. He was just this weedy little year seven kid. That was a big year nine lad. What I hadn't realised is that this year seven kid had a brother in year 11 and five minutes later this lad came to me this year 11 and said if you so much luck as luck as my little brother again you are in big trouble. He actually said it in a much more fierce and, and scouse way but I don't want to bless you with that, uh, with that translation this morning. David knows God's promises to Israel. He knows that behind him is an almighty God, an almighty champion. The Philistines can't see it, the Israelites can't see it at this moment in time, but they have a God who's promised, he's promised to establish them as a nation and he has. He's promised to give them a promised land and he has. He's promised to prosper them and he has. How could any man, even a nine foot nine giant, be of any threat to what the God almighty has done and promised? In the Old Testament, we see several Hebrew names given to God, names by which he is known, which all speak to his character and his promises. These are things that 
as Christians, we must cling to when we get ready to face and battle life's giants. Here's some examples to help us. You know, when we're facing the giant of sickness, we need to remember that God in the Old Testament is known as Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. We can't face the battle of sickness without knowing that there's a God who heals. When we face the giant of poverty, of economic problems, we need to remember that in the Old Testament he's referred to as Jehovah Jireh. We like to call him Jehovah Jireh up here in Liverpool. It's the God who provides, the God who provides. When we're facing the giant of anxiety and worry, in the Old Testament we see God known as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. When we're facing the giant of uncertainty in our life, when we're not sure what's going to happen next and it's scaring the light of us, we have to remember he is Jehovah Shuri, my God, my rock. When we face the giant of loneliness and isolation, that's a particularly big one for us at the moment in COVID-19, we have to remember in the Old Testament he's known as Jehovah El Roy, my God, the God who sees me, the God who doesn't leave me alone. For David in this passage, it's remembering that God is Yahweh Seboath, Jehovah Seboath, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of heaven. It's that which helps him to get through this battle. It's that which gives him the courage to bravely commit to fighting Goliath. And, and it's that faith which God rewards with victory. When we are facing the biggest battles in life, we need to do what David does. We need to practice what David preaches. We need to remember what's, what Paul tells us in the New Testament, that if God is for us, who can be against us? We need to remember who God is as we go into battle. Do you know what, in my role as one of the leaders of Freedom Church, I've really regularly had to come back to these promises of who God is in Scripture in recent times. In the last six months, as COVID has robbed us as a church of our ability to meet, of our ability to be together, it's felt like, you know what, our progress might be stunted, our growth might be stopped a bit. In, our, in my darkest moments, I've felt discouragement. I've been tempted to wonder, are we even going to survive this as a church? And at these moments, God has drawn me beautifully back to his word where he makes his promises. It's reminded me that Freedom Church Liverpool doesn't depend on my ability or Chris CB's ability or Matt's ability or any of our other leaders' ability to somehow battle COVID and get the church through this and keep everyone happy. No, in the Bible, Jesus promises, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. If Jesus is building Freedom Church Liverpool, and I believe he is, then COVID is of no threat to us. As long as we keep relying on him to do the building, we will not fail. Remembering who God is, what he's said and what he's done, the promises he's made us, helps us to face our battles against life's biggest giants. For David, a huge chunk of winning this battle against Goliath is about remembering who God is. And that has to be our starting point too. So that's the first thing. When you're facing life's giants, life's battles, remember who God is. The second thing that will really help us in facing life's battles and giants is remember who you are not. That's the second thing that David does. We see in verses 38 to 40, uh, specifically, David volunteers to fight Goliath and Saul, this warrior king, now relieved that he doesn't have to do it, tries to equip David the only way he knows how. He tries to put on him his armour, his own heavy armour and his own heavy weaponry as a warrior. That's who Saul was. He was chosen as king for his physical physical attributes and his warrior-like qualities. The Bible tells us he was six feet tall. He was head and shoulders with the others. Six feet doesn't sound that impressive to us nowadays. Well, actually, it does sound quite impressive to me. I'm only five foot nine and a half, and the half is important. But Saul was chosen as his six-foot warrior champion. But 
David, as Chris CB introduced us to last week, David was chosen as Israel's next anointed king, not because of his physical attributes. Not He didn't stand out as this impre- incre- impressive physical specimen. He was chosen for his character, for his heart. That's what God looked at when he chose David. And we do so well to remember this in our own battles of life. When we try to succeed by being anything other than children dependent on our amazing heavenly father, then we're doomed to fail. David knew this. David knew he wasn't supposed to win this battle by being someone he wasn't, by being a warrior. He had to win this battle by being who he was. Let me give you an example of where I massively messed this up in my own life. Me and Debbie were so excited to come, Debbie and my wife, we were so excited to come to Liverpool uh, with the, with our friends, the CBs and the Ashworths, seven years ago to come and plant Freedom Church Liverpool together. This was the adventure of a lifetime. For me, it was the opportunity to step up, to step into a leadership role, which I knew God had been calling me to and preparing me for for a long time. But you know what? We actually arrived in Liverpool in a bit of turmoil. Six months before we came, Debbie uh, suffered a miscarriage. Uh, But then we were kind of relieved and excited again a few months later that we got pregnant again and we were going to be moving to Liverpool with, with a baby on the way. Except on the very day we moved, we started to suffer another miscarriage. Debbie was literally bleeding on the motorway as we moved our stuff over the Pennines to Liverpool. Debbie was in bits and frankly so was I deep down inside but I was not going to let anyone know just how much. I was determined to make this work, to prove myself as a church leader, to settle into my new full-time decent like good paid job, to to, to prove myself as, as a good father, as a good husband who would lead his family through this. I would be the awesome dad, the model employee, the expert church planter, the super husband who would lead his family and his church through this rocky patch by working hard and trying my best and pushing away my grief and my pain I decided I was going to be Superman and in truth I forgot who I was I wasn't Superman I was this flawed scarred damaged hurting child who was rejecting the promises of comfort of peace of healing of joy and strength from an almighty father who just desperately wanted to look after me this time If only I had stopped and asked God for help, I would have actually depended on him and not myself. And you know what? What followed, it took time, but it wasn't pretty. I managed to sustain things and keep things going for a little while, but long story short, I ended up in a pretty big mental health mess with anxiety and depression, making an internal mockery of what was supposed to be my bulletproof exterior. Victory for me only started when I remembered that I am not Superman and that I need God and that he is my comforter and my friend at that time. David doesn't make that mistake. His boldness in fighting Goliath was never going to be about his own ability and strength. It wasn't going to be about him pretending to be a warrior. He takes Goliath on purely in the firm belief that God will defeat that enemy on his behalf. His path to victory doesn't start by saying, I can, I'm enough, I'm good enough, but I can't, but I trust the God who can. Whatever giants you are facing, please do not make the mistake of thinking that you can win in your own strength. You can't and you won't. Don't put on someone else's clothes and try try your way to victory. You've no need to. Remember who you actually are a child of the God who can. We need to rely fully on him if we've got any chance at all of beating some of life's giants. Give him your situations and rely on him. 
So, as we face life's giants, there's key things we can learn from David that will help us in, in battling some of these. Getting through these battles starts with remembering who God is and knowing who we are not. But now there's, there's so much we can learn from David's heroics in this story, but we need to realise that this story is actually also something more. It's a foreshadowing of an even more heroic act than David's. There's another way to view the story of David and Goliath. Not only is the faith of retelling of an epic battle, but actually also as what we call a typology. That's a posh, posh theological word, which basically means this. We can view David as a typology, as a type of Christ. We can look at him in this story and we see that he actually points us to and foreshadows something that Jesus would do later on, a typology. In this sense, we realise that our part of the story is not the part of David. It's not the part of the hero. We're not the heroes trying to fight these unlikely heroic battles, actually, when we look at the story this way. But we are the recipients of the incredible, undeserved victory and grace on account of someone else winning on our behalf. Let's look at this a bit closer. David as a type of Christ. When we, when we view this story as David as a typology, we actually, ourselves, in the story, we become simply soldiers in the Israelite army. You see, just like the Israelite army at the start of the story, we are all faced with a battle which we simply cannot win. We, we can't win. It's a battle with sin and death. At the start of the story, the Israelites are facing this loud mouth champion of the Philistine army, an enemy who genuinely believes that he has the upper hand. Goliath spits venomous threats and taunts, telling the Israelites that they're doomed to fail, leaving them dismayed and afraid. That's where we are with sin, quite frankly. Every single one of us, the Bible says, every single one of us, Romans 3.23 tells us, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all chosen to go our own way, to reject and rebel against God, to love our ourselves more than him, to choose our own ways in life and to be selfish. And we can't fix that ourselves. We can't don armour and and put a big sword on and fight our way out of that. We can't do enough good deeds to tip the scales of good and bad back in our favour and impress God enough to, to fix this situation. Our sinfulness, any amount of it, causes uh, an, a, a separation, a division between us and God that we just cannot fix and it exposes us to our ultimate enemy, sin and death. We can't win and we don't deserve to win. We're sinners, and the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the result, the end payment of sin, is death. The Bible tells us that the devil, the accuser, he's known as, sees us doomed to defeat, just like Goliath saw the Israelites. He sees us as hopeless failures with no chance of victory, and he loves it. Like Goliath versus the Israelites, he thinks he's got this easy win coming against a heavy underdog, like me and that year seven kid in, that, in my story earlier. But it's not. It's not an easy victory because the Israelite army, even though they've forgotten it, even though they don't deserve to remember it, they have God with them. And David is chosen, picked out by God to show Israel this. He understands, David understands the history that God has with the Israelites and his role in the story is to point them back to the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, to redirect their gaze away from this dangerous enemy and back to this all-powerful God who, who is on their side. This down and out army, Backed by an is backed by an invisible might and unassailable power. God provides David, who simply puts his faith in him and points the Israelites to the truth. 
and he just throws a pebble and God does the rest. David Stone, guided by God, knocks Goliath down and then David severs his head, holds it up in the air and declares victory. Notice that the Israelites did absolutely nothing to deserve this. They didn't deserve God's intervention. They'd given up. They were awaiting an inevitable defeat. But God did something. God sent someone. He acted and he rescues them. And then the Israelites have a choice. As David stands with the severed head of Goliath in his hands and holds it aloft, the Israelites can decide, well, that doesn't mean anything. We're still defeated. We're still going to lose. The Philistines are still too hard for us. Or they can decide, actually, we now have nothing to fear. I can, we can see the battles being won. The victory is ours. We can chase these Philistines away and we can revel in this undeserved victory that's been won on our behalf by someone else. They can enjoy the spoils of war. We have the same choice when it comes to our, our battle against sin and death and our separation from God. Just as God provided David and guided him to defeat to Goliath, he does something even more incredible with our sin. In, our, in the face of our deserved death and defeat, he sends his son Jesus to battle for us in our place. Jesus takes our punishment. He lets the enemy unleash hell on him. He even lets the enemy think that, they, that it's won. He, he dies on the cross. He spends three days lying in the grave. But then he is raised to life, defeating death and sin forever and offering us eternal victory with him. And so we have the choice. Do we want to be like the Israelites before David comes and, and think we're beaten? Or do we want to be like the Israelites after David has won that battle and, and, and enjoy the victory? That's our choice. We can either stay in our sin and our death, worried about the future and think we've got no hope. Or we can accept what Jesus has done, the battle he's fought for us, the, the sacrifice he's made for us as the perfect sinless son of God, dying to, to appease God's wrath for us. And we can revel in that victory. I know what side I want to be on. If I want to be like the Israelites after David's done that. I want, to, I want to revel in the victory that he's won, even though I didn't deserve it. That's what we can do through Jesus. So let's, let's bring this into land. Look, if you're a Christian watching this, I hope it's been some help to you this morning. I hope this message has encouraged you this morning that, that first of all, that look, you're going to face battles in life. They're going to be difficult. You're even going to taste defeat sometimes. But... By knowing who God is, by remembering who God is, and by knowing who we aren't, we can get through these. We have a chance of victory. We can, we can get through these difficult situations by knowing who God is and knowing who we are. That we have the backing of an amazing, glorious, powerful God. And we don't need to be heroes. We don't need to be Davids stepping onto the battlefield and slinging stuff. We just need to remember who God is and, and know who we're not. And that gives us a chance. He's, in us, in, he's with us in every high and every low. But secondly, we need to know this. In the most important and difficult battle in our lives, the one against sin and death, the one that determines not only our health and our happiness here on earth, but actually our eternal future, it's, that battle has already been won for us. It's been fought on our behalf by Jesus and it's been won. Just as G David was raised up by God to fight for the Israelite army, God raised Jesus up to win the battle against sin and death for us. There is no greater battle for us. That is the biggest battle we ever face as humans on this earth. 
and it has already been categorically decided in our favour. If you're a Christian this morning, you need to remember, if you're not a Christian, I pray that you understand that maybe for the first time, you are in a battle against sin and death that you cannot win but for Jesus, and that victory is fully available to you this morning. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for winning this victory for us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, to win the battle against sin and death. Lord, we pray that you will help us to remember as we face life's biggest battles that you are with us, that you are for us, that nothing can stand against us. Lord God, in your name. Amen.